I, uh, I'm excited for this evening because this series is an exciting series, I believe, uh, for our church, and I hope that you feel that excitement. But for me personally, God has been speaking uh, in a powerful way as I've been diving into the book of Joshua. If you were with us last week, you know we kicked off a new series for a new year, and it's called Forward Living. What does it mean for us to be forward-living people? To look back on the past, as we talked about in our January 1st service, we said that there is hope when you remember what God has done in his faithfulness, but we are also to be people that remember God's work and his faithfulness, which builds hope, but look forward and live for the future and believe that God can do great things. So we're going to be in the book of Joshua for the next several weeks. Last week we were in Joshua chapter 1. This week we're going to be in Joshua chapter 5. So we're going to be kind of jumping around uh, to look at what God says around this topic of forward living. This passage here is a passage of preparation as God is about to do a great and miraculous thing in the life of his people. But they don't know it yet. And so God is preparing them. And in particular, he's preparing Joshua, the new leader of God's people, for Moses has died. The previous generation is dead. And there's a new generation that has to trust God's promises for the future. And so if you have your Bible, uh, you can turn to Joshua chapter 5. The passages will be on the screen behind. And also, as always, on our app, if you click on the notes icon, I put a whole bunch of notes there along with the passages. But I want to read just three verses that we're going to be camping in this evening to see what God's word says to us. Here's what it says in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I mentioned, last week we were in Joshua chapter 1. We skipped ahead to Joshua chapter 5. Let me orient you a little bit on what's happened between chapter 2 and 4. So last week as God comes to his people and he gives his promises anew, that he's finally going to fulfill that long-awaited promise of giving them the promised land, God comes to Joshua and he gives him these very specific promises. Anywhere you lead, Joshua, it's going to be the land, and I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to be for you. He tells them three times, be strong and courageous, because there's a lot of fear. There's going to be a lot of challenges as they move into this land with other nations settled there. Now, the first great challenge before God's people is that there's a large river in front of them known as the Jordan River. And so Joshua, before they crossed the river, looking in the distance and seeing the great city of Jericho, sends out two spies to go into Jericho to figure out where their weak points are. So the spies go into Jericho, but while they are there, the king is made aware that there are spies from Israel in the city. So there's a manhunt that goes on to look for these spies. 
and they meet a woman named Rahab. Rahab runs a brothel. She's a prostitute. But she hides these men in her brothel so that they're not found by the soldiers looking for her, looking for them, and helps them escape. And that is because Rahab believes in the God of the Scriptures. She believes in the God of Israel. And she's asking for mercy for herself and her family, knowing that God is going to be faithful to his people. And he is not going to sustain Jericho when God calls his people to take the city. And so they escape, they come back to Joshua, they report everything that's happened. And Joshua, maybe with a little bit more confidence, is ready to move into the land. But before them, as I mentioned, is the river Jordan. Now this is not a, a, a massive river, but it is a river that is difficult to cross. And that is because the water levels can rush at times, there's different depths. And Je Joshua is not just crossing the river himself, but with an entire nation. Men, women, children, people of all different ages are going to have to cross this river, not just themselves, but with everything they own. Carts and wagons and livestock and tents, suitcases. It's not going to be easy. And so there's a lot of fear of how are we going to get across the river. And we don't want anyone to drown or get swept down the river. We don't want to lose any of our equipment or livestock. And so as they are preparing to cross... God does something miraculous. He dries a section of the ground, stops the river from flowing so that they can cross on dry ground. God's people walk across the river. And when they get across with everything they own and everyone that's a part of the nation Israel, they set up a memorial and they have a worship service thanking God for what he's done. It sounds familiar if you know the story that God has been writing over the past 40 plus years in the life of his people. What happened some 40 years ago with a different leader, Moses, is that they were led out of Egypt and they were beginning to go on their journey to the promised land and they came up to waters. It wasn't the Jordan River, this time it was the Red Sea. And they had Pharaoh and his army bearing down upon them. What did God do? He parted the sea so they could walk on dry land. And then he closed the sea, giving them safety and protection. And on the other side of the sea, Moses leads a worship service. See, God is doing something for this new generation that he did in the previous generation. He's doing the same thing. Why? Because he wants them to know that he is faithful. He wants them to know that, that they can trust him as they step into uncharted waters before them with Jericho. So they have this memorial service and they worship God and it's building courage within them for God is doing for this generation what he did for the past generation. But they're also remembering that the past generation, once they went through the waters and had that worship service, they wandered the desert for 40 years. So God, are we going to wander? Are we going to suffer? Are we going to struggle? See, God is trying to establish here forward-living people. He wants them to remember the past so that builds them hope, but he wants them to look forward and believe that God is going to do a new thing. It's not going to be the same story. There are elements of God's faithfulness that are attached to this new generation, but he's going to do something new. Here's what I mean by that. He's trying to establish... These forward-living people 
not nostalgically numb people. Sometimes we can be so focused on the past that it, it disables us from living forward, living for the future. Because the past is much easier to edit. It's easy to look at the past and kind of remove some of the things that we don't like or look at things in a different light and see God's faithfulness. Because in the midst of it, when you're in it, it's hard to see it. It's hard to live with optimism and, and hope and courage because there's all types of struggles and there's all types of difficulties. It's much more comfortable to consider what God has done than to experience what God is doing in the moment and believe what God is going to do. To really believe that God is going to do something great, it's easy to clap in church when I ask you to clap, right? It's much harder to really believe it in the moment. You can look back on God's faithfulness and it will give you hope, but am I really believing God that you're going to do something great in my life? How many of us have the, the faith to pray something like this? God, this is what I am believing you are going to do in 2023, and then you name it. I believe it, God. Courage, bold faith. We tend to get stuck oftentimes in the past instead of looking to the future, being forward-living people, believing that God can do the impossible in our lives. And this is true in our conversations as well. And I think the, our conversations with each other proves this. I'm guilty of this as well. We spend time with our friends, or maybe when, after service when you catch up with other people. Oftentimes our questions are, are revolving around the past, right? How was your weekend? How's work? What's going on? It's always about what has already happened. The reason we ask each other questions about the past is because we are more comfortable talking about the past. Because we've had time to edit it. To remove some of the things that we don't want to share. Because the present is much too raw and we have to be too courageous and vulnerable to really say, hey, here's what's really going on right now. Here's my fears about the future. Here's what I'm working towards and I don't know. Many of us don't want to have conversations about what's really happening right now or what we're believing is going to happen or hoping is going to happen in the future because we haven't had time to edit it. But see here, God is doing something in the life of his people. And it's the same kind of thing that he wants to do in our life in a new year. He wants us to look back. He wants us to celebrate his faithfulness. And we, he wants the past to build hope in us. But as we look forward to the future, we need to be stepping into the present and the future with bold faith saying, hey, it's okay if it's raw. It's okay if it's vulnerable. It's okay if it's complex. God, I'm believing that you're going to do something new and something great. I'm going to live for the future. Yes, what's before me seems unprecedented, like Jericho before God's people. But I'm believing that you are going to do something great. See, forward-living people experience greatness because they're believing God to do something great. When you're nostalgically numb and always in the past, you miss oftentimes what God wants to do in our lives. See, there's a monumental task before Joshua and his people, and it's Jericho. This is not just any city. This is a large, wealthy city that is battle-tested. It has a spring inside of it, which means they have fresh water and they can grow crops and care for the livestock with the water. They can literally stay within the city forever. 
And outside of the city walls are, is a two-tiered wall system that no nation has ever gotten through. So imagine how Joshua is feeling as the new leader of God's people. God, you're calling me to go against Jericho. No nation's ever defeated them. Look at the walls. They can live in there forever. We have nothing. It's a monumental task. As Joshua is the new Moses with a new challenge before him, he has to be thinking, God, are you really going to do this? Because as God is reaffirming to them that he's going to do for this generation what he did for the past, as the, he parts the waters of the Jordan, they cross, they have a worship service just like the previous generation did in the Red Sea, it feels different what is going to happen in the future. Because it's easy for Joshua and God's people to say, God, when you do something miraculous like part the sea and all we have to do is just walk across it, it's really easy to trust you. But God's people have never faced a Jericho. Because unlike when God parts the sea, he is the one doing it. God parts the sea, they walk. God dries up the Jordan, they walk. But now, as Jericho stands before them, God is inviting them and their strategy and their preparation to be involved in what he's going to do. And there's a lot of fear with that. Like, God, you've never done something like this for us. We've never gone up against something like this. We've never had a battle before us like this. And so as they are now finally in the promised land, right across the Jordan River, they're preparing to go against Jericho. They have their first Passover meal, which had to have been one with a lot of fear. Again, the Passover meal is calling them to look back. But they're looking forward at that massive city and its walls before them and probably like, God, are you going to do this? The text slows down, and that's where we get to our passage in verse 13 through 15, where Joshua goes for a walk. He leaves the camp. He's like, I'm, I'm out of here. And he goes outside the camp. It's at night. It's quiet. It's alone. He's in the wilderness. I mean, it's a desert kind of region. And I, I imagine he walks out of the tent to kind of think through all that is going to happen in the coming days. Maybe he's rehearsing his speech. I got to really jack them up, you know what I mean? We got to be ready to go. So he's going it over, you know, Braveheart style, like how am I going to do it? He's thinking about his battle plans. Did the spies see everything? What if their intel is bad? What if they change the things that they saw? He's maybe looking. It says that he's actually right outside of Jericho. He's looking at Jericho. Maybe he's looking and saying, maybe I can see a different way in. Maybe there's a different strategy that will come to my mind. Maybe he's just going for a walk and he's thinking, Am I going to die? Am I really the right person for this? God, are you really going to do this? It says that his, he's actually looking down. You know, like when you go for a walk or when you begin to contemplate, you're always looking down. You're just like thinking, what is going on? What's going to happen? It's in this moment that Joshua looks up and we read verse 13. Joshua was by Jericho. He lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Do you feel what's happening here? Sometimes we need to not just read the Bible, we need to feel the Bible. 
I want you to imagine you going outside of your house, your neighborhood, maybe walking around Brickle because you're thinking about all the things that are before you. Your dreams, your goals, you got a big presentation tomorrow, you have a hard conversation you have to have tomorrow, you have a big test, you have a presentation, whatever it may be. It's before you, it's something new, it's something you've never done or you're not ready to do, you don't know if you're going to be successful, you've been preparing for it. You go outside and you're walking around and your head is down and you're thinking, am I the right person for this? Am I going to be successful? What's going to happen? Do I have the right thing to say? Am I prepared enough? And then all of a sudden you're alone, it's quiet. You don't even really know what's happening in the world and you look up and there's a man before you with a sword. You're like... I'm not into LARPing. I don't know. There's like, if that's somewhere else, maybe Bayfront Park. LARPing is live action role playing. People do that with swords, okay? For those of you that don't know. You're like, I don't know what's going on here. I don't want any, I don't want any problems. You would probably ask a similar question to what Joshua asked this man. Joshua says, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Because the man is presumably standing between Joshua and Jericho. But you would probably ask something similar, which is like, hey, are you here to hurt me or help me? Like, what's going on? He asked this question, hey, are you here to help me or hurt me? Are you for me or are you against me? And here's the answer. The answer is not, yes, I'm here for you. Don't worry. I got the sword. We're ready. We're ready to battle. Let's go. It's not that. It's also not, no, 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 I'm with them. And I've come out here because I saw you, so it's over for you now. It's not either of those things. The response is, I'm not for any of you. In fact, it's a very simple response. Joshua says, hey, are you for us or are you against us? And the commander before Joshua says, no. I am the commander of the Lord's army, and I have come. What is he saying? He's saying, you have the wrong question, Joshua. The question is not, am I for you or against you? The question is, are you with me? I have come. I'm the commander. Are you with me? See, sometimes we create these false binaries with God, and he doesn't let us do it, right? God, are you with me? Or are you with them? Are you for me or are you for them? Here are my goals and it's going to affect some other people, but are you for my goals or are you for them? I'm on the good side, right? Are you for me or are you for them? We have this ability, right? It's like heightened in our time right now in history of like you're for me, you're against me. You're either all in or you're all out. You're on this side or you're that side. Here's the good guys and the bad guys. And God is certainly always on your side, right? You see, this is a challenging response because God comes before us just like he comes before Joshua. And we have these questions. Like, God, are you for me or are you for them? And God's answer is, are you with me? See, God promises to be for us. He promises to defend us and protect us. But not when we're trying to say, God, if you're with me, then you can't be with them. You're either with me or you're with them. And the commander of the Lord's army comes before Joshua and he says, no, 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 you don't get it. I'm the commander. It's like Captain Phillips. I'm the captain now. You know that? 
I'm the commander. I have come. Are you with me? Joshua has now experienced the commanding power of God right before him. And look at his response. He fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? He's first really bold. Like, he sees a guy with a sword. He's like, hey, listen. Hey, keep some distance. Are you with me or are you with them? And all of a sudden, Joshua's been humbled. No, 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 no. I'm the commander. Are you with me? And Joshua just immediately falls to the ground and says, okay, what do you want with me? Just like, I'm your servant. I'm not the one to come questioning who you're with and for. And any, I'm just, what do you want from me? You see, all of us start the year believing in great things. Hoping for great things. Maybe it's built with some suspicion. Maybe we had a hard year in 2022 and we have a, a little bit of optimism. But every one of us in this room wants to do something great. We want our life to be a life that somebody would describe as great. We want our families and our relationships and our friendships and our work and our social engagement to be great. We want our spiritual life to be great. And if you're a person of faith, then you know something, which is that the greatness that you're invited to step into needs to be the greatness that God has for you. Because when you try to make something great on your own, you normally make a mess of it. So we would say, God, we want to do something great for you. I want my life to be the life that you want me to lead. I want you to do great things in my life. It's a great lesson here. If you want to do something great for God, you have to have a meeting with God. You have to come before him alone and allow him to ask the questions of you that he wants to ask. So if you want to do something great for God and your life wants to be a life of greatness, you need to put down the self-help books, put down the vision board, put down the financial strategies, put down the counsel of other people, put down the, maybe I'll just stumble in the greatness somehow. Put it all down and come before God alone and say, God... What do you have for me? I'm your servant. Tell me what you want me to do. I'm with you. You're the commander, not me. I may act like I'm the commander of my life and the lives of others, but you're the commander. What do you want from me? So you have to set aside that time. You have to have, and it's a great practice at the beginning of every year. Come to God with your strategies and your goals and your dreams and everything else, just like Joshua had all those things in his head. But God is going to ask you to put it all down. And come before him with just yourself, knowing that he is the commander. And that's a great principle there, which is this. Greatness begins on your face. Joshua falls right before the commander of the Lord's army. Falls down on his face. You know, one of the things I was thinking about this week is that if you go on Christian Twitter, okay, or you research like the state of the church, it doesn't look great, okay? Many people are asking the question, like, what's happening in the American church? Why has greatness left the American church? There's a lot of people looking back on the past, decades and decades ago, saying, look at the church. Look at how great the church was. Look at what the church did then. But now what's happening? Churches are closing. Pastors are leaving the ministry. These younger generations, you know, the millennials and the Gen Zs, they don't care. All types of blame, all types of reasons. 
Greatness has left the church. People would rather dance on TikTok than sing on Sundays. You know what I mean? What's going on? It used to be so great. Not a lot of optimism about the future. I'm going to tell you something right now. God's going to do great things in the church in the future. He's promised to. And he's inviting you to believe him. Step into it. See, I think the problem in the American church is that we have a greatness problem. Many of us have succumbed to the kind of trickery and the lies that greatness is found in the mirror. We look in the mirror and we believe that that's where greatness is. We just got to cultivate it in ourselves. We got to work it in ourselves. Got to change some things in ourselves. And they will be great because greatness is in the mirror. Greatness is not in the mirror, friends. It's on your face before God. That's where greatness begins. And this happens too of what happens when you come to church. Okay, I'm going to say something here and I want you to, to come with me here. Many of us don't experience the greatness of God on Sundays in our life personally or in what he's doing. Because we come to church to see a somebody and not the somebody. Do you hear what I'm saying? We come to church to see a somebody, not the somebody. I can't wait to go to church to see so-and-so, to catch up with so-and-so. That's great. But you should be coming to church to see the somebody. The one who is truly great. And repeatedly in scripture, when you come before greatness, it affects you. Posture matters. All throughout the Bible, when people come before the presence of God, here's what happens. They fall on their knees. They lift holy hands. They clap with joy. They sing. They dance. They move. You see, when you worship something, it engages your body. It engages your body. If you are engaging in a relationship and you've elevated that, and you're worshiping a person, it's going to engage your body. If you're worshiping money or your work, it's going to engage your body. It's going to invite you to be involved in it and to move and orient your life around it. Worship engages your body. When was the last time you came here on a Sunday and your posture was this? God, I am open to whatever you want to say to me, what you want to do. And how you want to move. I'm open. In the moment. I'm not looking back in the past. I'm, I've come here to see you, God. I can't wait to see other people too. That's a great joy of your church. But I've come here to see you. The somebody. The great one. And I'm open to whatever you want to do. I want you to hear this really clearly, okay. It is not wrong. It is not wrong to not say amen when a pastor is preaching, okay. It's not wrong. It is not wrong to, to stand and worship with your hands at your side. It's not wrong. It's not wrong to be inside and processing and be thinking deeply within. It is not wrong to be non-expressive in worship. It's not wrong. I want you to know that. But I want to tell you what is wrong. Here's what's wrong. When you care more about what a somebody will think than what the somebody leads you to do. That's what's wrong. 
It's not wrong if you don't raise your hands, if you don't say amen, if you don't clap, if you don't sing loud. It's not wrong. But what is wrong is that if you're more moved by the potential opinions of other people in the room than what the great God of the universe is leading you to do. That is what is wrong. The church has a greatness problem. We come to church even thinking about others and what they think of us more than what, who God is and what he's calling us into. So we have a greatness problem. Some of us need to hear Joshua's example. We need to know that if God calls us to fall before him on our knees, that we'll do it. Joshua immediately drops to the floor. So listen, if God leads you to fall on your knees in prayer during the service, you should do it. If he leads you to raise your hands or open your hands, you should do it. If he leads you to clap, you should do it. If he leads you to say amen, you should do it. And if you think, well, I don't know what someone's going to think, then you should do it even more. Because God is leading you to worship him with your body. When God moves, his people move. We are engaged. Listen, if I'm preaching and the spirit moves you to close your eyes and pray, I'm not going to think you're sleeping, okay? You should do it. Because when God moves, his people Move. And I want to say this too. And I say this with all love. If you're never moving before the presence of God, if you're never moving, then you probably have come to see a somebody and not the somebody. Because every time in scripture when people come before the presence of God, they move. It's different in different ways and different times and to different people. But he engages us to move before him. There's a reason why we take a physical communion. We physically sing with our mouth and we clap our hands and we give each other hugs. God wants to move our bodies in worship. Joshua experiences this as he comes before the commanding presence of God and he falls right before him. Do you know that you can come into this room where Jesus has promised that he's present? Jesus said that when two or more are gathered in my name, there I am. Like, you know God is in the room right now. The spirit is moving in the room. Jesus is before us right now and you can miss him. You can. We sang a song last week that I love. It's a song called Make Room. The bridge of the song says this. Shake up the ground of all my tradition. Break down the walls of all my religion. Your way is better. Here's how we miss God. We don't allow God to move us when we come before him, the great one, where he has promised to be because we're standing on tradition. Well, I wasn't raised like that. We're standing on tradition. Well, I don't know about that. That's not how I've always worshipped. No, no. It's not about how you've always worshipped. It's not about how you've always engaged. What, what is God doing in you? Break down the ground. Shake it up of your tradition. Or you can build up walls of your religion. Well, that's not for me. This is, is kind of how my religion works. Well, I'm going to tell you the religion of the Bible is that when God's people come, when, when they come before him, they're moved. They fall, they pray, they raise their hands, they clap, they hug, they sing, they say Amen. God's people are moved when they come before his presence. Don't miss him because of religion and because of tradition. Break down the walls. Shake up the ground. His way's better. You're going to find the freedom of just allowing God to move you is so much better than you caring about the potential opinions of others. And I'm going to also give you a little secret. Nobody's really thinking anything. They're not. In fact, most people think, I, I wish I could be more free. I wish I could be more 
free. You see, the church has a greatness problem. We often come for the wrong things. We're to come to see the somebody who has promised to be here in the room because greatness begins on our face before God. Surrendered before him, allowing him to move us and then that rightly places us. When you come before God with that kind of posture of God, however you want to move, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to do, it places you in the right position. Just like Joshua, when he was before God on his face, his response is to be the same response we're to have. Hey God, I'm your servant, you just tell me what you want with me. I know I may have come to you with like, hey, who are you for? But like, God, I'm for you, and I'm right before you. When you surrender before greatness, before the great God of the universe, you are rightly placed. You see, what we see in the very last verse is that our posture matters, but also our perspective. Great leaders, people that are going to lead into greatness, and God does great things through them, they have the right posture, and they have the right perspective. Greatness has a posture and a perspective. Here's what verse 15 says. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Great leaders are self-aware. Great leaders are self-aware. People leading into greatness are self-aware. God invites Joshua to humble himself, to take off his shoes And he just says, God, yes. He came to God and said, God, what do you want to do? God said, take your shoes off. He said, okay. I'll take my shoes off. Joshua is the commander of Israel. But he's taken a back seat to the commander of the Lord's army. You see, he is rightly placed. He has the right posture. Great leaders are self-aware. When we talk about self-awareness, we often have to talk about our deficiencies. Are you aware of your deficiencies and your failures and your weaknesses and your sin and your brokenness? And we should be aware of those things. That's important. But we're also to be aware of our successes and our strengths and our reputation that we're cultivating and the potential that God is building within us. Great leaders are self-aware of both their weaknesses And their strengths. Which means when you come before God, when you're rightly placed, you are not only coming before him with your weaknesses and with your deficiencies, but you're also coming before him with your strength. You're laying it all before him. See, listen, you may be great in the eyes of other people, but you can't even wear your shoes in front of God. You can't even wear your shoes. I love the symbol here of taking the shoes off. Oftentimes we talk about in scripture when God says to to Moses, as he says to Joshua, to take their shoes off, that they're standing on holy ground, that it's a sign of surrender, which is true. It is a sign of, of surrender. God, I am not worthy of being here. But it is also a symbol of security and comfort for what are shoes. They are the things that we put on our feet that protect our feet from everything we're gonna trample on, and they give comfort to our feet. It is a symbol of taking off the comforts and the securities and the adornments that you have placed upon your life. When you come before God and you take your shoes off, you're saying, God, I'm coming before you. It's just me. I'm self-aware of my deficiencies and weaknesses. I'm also aware of my strengths. 
I'm aware of the securities that I try to build in my life to feel hopeful. I'm aware of the comforts that I build around me to feel full of joy. I'm taking it all off, God, and I'm coming before you, just me. I want you to move me. I want you to move me. My shoes are off. See, when you come before God as a prodigal, as someone that's a broken vessel, do you know what you find? God embraces you in his love with a hug. He warms you and he hugs you. It's exactly what you need. But listen, when you come before God as the commander of your life, in your strength, you know what God says? Take your shoes off. Take them off. Holy ground, holy ground welcomes the lost and it wrecks the found. It welcomes the lost and you are welcome here. You are forgiven. You are loved. And those of us that are found, when we come to God with a little bit of confidence, a little bit of swagger, God says, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. I'm the commander. Are you with me? Are you okay with me moving you? Are you okay with trusting me? Great leaders are self-aware of their posture and they have the right perspective on who God is. I want to invite the band to come up. I want to do something a little bit different tonight. And uh, that is to invite you to come before God for who he is. To take off the adornments. To take off the comforts, the securities. To take off the things that have created a barrier between you and God. Maybe it's your tradition. Maybe it's the religion that you've created for yourself that's a comfort for you. To take it off and come before God and say, God, I, I want you to move me. I want to trust you. I want to allow you to speak to me. I want to allow you to say whatever you want to say to me. I want you to encourage me. I want you to challenge me. I want you to move me. I want you to take off your shoes. Like, I'm literally taking off my shoes, okay? Here we go. Take your shoes off. I want to encourage you, actually. Okay, how about this? I'm going to encourage you. Take your shoes off, all right? As a physical symbol. Now, some of you may be like, I didn't wear the right socks. It's okay. All right? You can put them back on later. Take off your shoes. As a symbol, as a sign, God wants to engage your body. Hey, God, I'm before you. It's just me. I'm coming before you with everything I have. My deficiencies, my weaknesses, my strengths the traditions that I built up, the religion that I built up, and I just, I want you to move me. I want you to speak to me. I know that greatness begins on my face as I come before you, just you. I don't need everything else. I just need you. Because when Joshua takes his shoes off before God as he's on his face, guess what God tells him? Hey, you are on holy ground. I want you to know who I am. I am holy. I am different. I am unlike any person you've ever met. I am the commander. I am the God that is going to protect you and be for you. You can trust me of what I'm going to do in the future because I'm the commander. I'm holy. He is. I want to invite you, friends, to come before God and just say,